I grow up, I want to be an engineer. When I grow up, I want to be an author. When I grow up, I want to be a fine art thief. When I grow up, I want to be a When I grow up, I want to be a baseball player. When I grow up, I want to be a baseball player. When I grow up, I want to be a baseball player. When I grow up, I want to be a baseball player. When I grow up, I want to be a baseball player. Welcome to My Dilettante Life, a podcast where I talk to experts about what it really means to be a professional fill-in-the-blank, hosted by me, lifelong dabbler, Hannah Binder. Uh, yeah, hi, my name's Jackie Hefley. I am a rock climber um, from Boulder, Colorado, or I live in Boulder, Colorado now, and I'm also a root setter. Uh, which means I put holds on the climbing wall to make paths for people to climb. I've been doing all that since 1998. And um, professionally, I own a climbing hold company called Kilter, where we make the holds. And I also uh, own a company or co-own a company called the Route Setting Institute, where we teach clinics and go do um, competitions and set routes kind of all over the place. And we've been using that to get um, more diversity in route setting as well, because it was kind of traditionally like a white male uh, job. And so that's changed a lot, which is great. Um, and I also work with the Climbing Wall Association. Um, and I work with an international group as well. We're working on professionalizing route setting further just around the whole world. So it's the sport's kind of relatively young. The profession of route setting is even younger, um, where people actually think about how they put the holds on the wall and what that means. So recently at the Olympics in Tokyo, there was climbing was included and people could see how important it is that the climbs are put up a certain way to make the climbing exciting to watch. So um, that's basically this thing I nerd out about and have been nerding out about for like 20 plus years now. Um, yeah, I think, that, oh, and I also write sometimes for climbing magazines and, and uh, contribute essays to books and stuff. Um, I've been doing that off and on since college. So yeah. I know in a way I feel like I get a little bit of a, I don't know, three for one deal interviewing you. Um, because not only do you have the, again, the small business perspective, the rock climbing, um, world insight, but then also, um, a writer, another, um, profession that I think people dream about a lot and, um, maybe don't always have like an idea of what it looks like on a day-to-day -day basis, but, um, getting into my question. So, um, I mean, you've been climbing and involved in the world of climbing for many years. Um, I, I'm guessing, I think by now two decades going on. Yeah. Uh, I started in 1998. So yeah, almost, it's going to be 25 years and like next year, basically <laughs> just kind of creeps yeah. up on you. Yeah. So then, um, how did you get into, the field of rock climbing professionally, was it something that you thought about when you were a kid and were first sort of getting started with it as a hobby? Um, yeah, so no, I wanted to be a lawyer up until um, probably sophomore year of high school. Uh, but I started climbing. I, so I like grew up in Nevada doing all the regular outdoor skiing, snowboarding, water skiing, and played uh, regular sports, also played hockey. So just kind of did a bunch of different sports um, and then kind of near the end of my sophomore year of high school, uh, my my mom was seeing a guy for a long time who had been a rock climber forever and uh, he took us climbing and I actually didn't, the very first time I went outside, I wasn't grabbed by it, um, but then I went to the climbing gym and immediately just fell in love and just began spending all my time there and actually... Uh, I started working there and started root setting pretty quickly after. And then, um, you know, I'm, my friends were all on the climbing team with me and we would go compete. And one of my good friends uh, from high school, Travis Burke, who you know well, uh, we would go after school. We had half days senior year. So we would like go to school in the morning and then we'd drive up to, you know, go climbing in the afternoon. Um, so it was pretty fun. And honestly, at that point, uh, you know, high school is, um, you know, high school is, is a varied experience for everybody. And it was fine. Like I got along with people, but I just was really over being in school by that point. So when I was done with high school, uh, instead of going straight to college, I actually took a lot of time and went climbing. Um, I went to Europe and England and then came back, went to school and then traveled around the U S and then went back to school. So I kind of off and on to college 
um, and then got a creative writing degree from uh, CU Boulder eventually. Um, but yeah, it basically derailed my original plans, but I also am really happy that it did because one of my best friends growing up is a lawyer and it's great for her, but I, it's very clear for me that it was not for me. And I would have like been a much more stressed out person if I had pursued that path. And with this path, I've gotten to really have the unique opportunity to like visit a lot of places and be part of this international community and also help kind of mold the direction that our industry is, is going, which is kind of cool because it's a young industry. So we have this unique opportunity to help build it, which is just super special. And, you know, I feel really lucky to be a part of it. So I want to take a moment to focus in specifically on your work with root setting um, in a professional context and then also with kilter um, with so with working in the world of rock climbing holds creation design production when did you do you remember I guess when you first learned about pursuing either one of those things as a profession and not just as something kind of fun on the side I mean, it just kind of happened. So I started root setting, like I said, at in Reno when I was still in high school, I started working at the gym and I was just invited to learn how to set roots. And it just appealed to me uh, because you get to think about movement and think about all the different ways you can create movement and then watch other people climb on the route and see if they did what you were intending. And if not, why? So this is really infinite number of moves and climbing that you can create and, and modify. And so it's just very interesting. It stays interesting. And then outdoor climbing, again, infinite movements, tons of rock types. So you can have a different experience every single time you go. So it stays interesting. Um, and so I started root setting just because I loved it. And then like, if you're a you know, young person who's on and off in school and traveling and climbing, you know, you take photos, which I had a few photos published, but I never really pursued trying to learn enough to be a good photographer. And then you write, if you're a writer, which I was, so I would write articles. And then I would set roots as my job, you know, when I did, when I was in town, so I could do that while I was at school. Um, and so I just kind of enjoyed it a lot and pursued, uh, you know, more opportunities. So I set some competitions. I did a lot of work for free, which we're trying to help the industry grow. So people don't have to do that anymore, but I did a lot of work for free or low pay just to get the opportunities. Um, and it, it's just all kind of happened. Like I love root setting. I was the head root setter at the spot, um, for a long time. And with Kilter, my climbing hole company, my partner, Ian, he had started another hold company in the nineties. Um, and then he, had kind of gone out of the industry for a while and he had come back and was making holds again. And so I was at the spot setting and he was at the spot making holds. So we started using them to set. And uh, I just thought they were amazing. He's a, he's just an incredible hold shaper. Um, he's, he's the best by far. Uh, and so it was natural for me to start helping him with promotion and marketing. And it just turned into me owning, you know, uh, he and I own the company and we have a third partner as well. So, um, and we've just, it's been really cool to, to build it. And, like I said, root setting is still uh, growing as a profession. So now there are some positions in the industry where people actually earn a reasonable wage and have benefits and stuff. But even 10 years ago, it was pretty hard to find that. And so I also felt like I needed to do something more to uh, adult a little bit better, you know, <laughs> so uh, and also root setting is super fun, but it is a really physical job. And so it's hard to do full time. You can't really do it five days a week and stay healthy. Um, and so between that and the pay, it's just like when you're in your thirties, most of us have kind of also brought like done some other stuff just because it's not sustainable. But part of what we're trying to build with the professionalization of the industry is a healthier, more sustainable path for people. So people can do this as a career. The people can do root setting as a career with the future path in mind. So they can actually see like, I'm not gonna burn out when I'm 35 and then not know what I'm doing. They're gonna be like, oh, and I can transition to this position and I can do this administration and I can continue to set roots two days a week and you know have an actual path that they can see. Um, because Root setting is a skill and gyms definitely benefit from having skilled setters, but if there's nowhere for people to go in the industry, then they're not going to commit to it. And the industry is going to benefit, even brand new climbers are going to benefit from having skilled root setters. And so it's just necessary that we continue to professionalize and take care of people who are committing themselves to perfecting this or getting good at this skill. 
And I will also say as a five foot tall woman with not a ton of upper body endurance, I really appreciate what you said earlier about diversifying the field of root setting. I think, I mean, you mentioned, you know, obviously with rock climbing showing up in the most recent Olympics um, and just like the kind of general explosion of rock climbing gyms, a lot of people are being exposed to it as a sport. And I think, you know, were I not... <laughs> um, did I like if Travis weren't my partner and we didn't spend a lot of time talking about and thinking about rock climbing related things, I wouldn't necessarily realize the importance of root setting in developing a sport that could or could could be more or less um, accessible to a wide variety of people, and how important it is then to if you want to make it more um, inclusive how important it is to concentrate on the opportunities available for a wide array of people to get into root setting in the first place. Cause someone needs to put those routes up on the wall before we can climb them in the gym. Um, and then similar with like root development outside, if everyone is trying to emulate Adam Andra because he happens to be the strongest climber in the world. And those are the only types of routes that are being developed. Then only people who climb like Adam Andra are going to be continually pushed and challenged to climb the hardest routes. So yeah. just for my, you know, my listeners who might not be aware of, of all this um, stuff kind of that has gone on, I think, in the history of the sport and is going on currently, I really appreciate um, the work you, that you're doing, not only just as a woman yourself in the field, but then also um, thinking, it sounds like pretty strategically and, and working toward um, bringing other people into those positions that are so important, but might not be so front of mind or top of mind, rather, when people are thinking about rock climbing. I mean, even the industry is still understanding the importance of root setting, like climbing gyms used to just let whoever set like the strong climbers who are bored or like the kid working the desk or like volunteers. And so it's really changing because, uh, you know, climbing indoor climbing is basically its own sport. It's, it, it does share some things with outdoor climbing, but it's a different experience in a lot of ways. And I think that we're embracing that. And I think we should embrace that because you can go to the gym at lunch and climb for an hour and do 10 routes and get a good workout in. If you go outside, doing 10 routes in a day is a huge undertaking because it's just too, there's like a lot more to it, you know? Um, so it's like a different sport, which is great. They're companion sports. And so the industry is still understanding the importance of route setting, but as more and more people are getting into climbing because indoor climbing is so much easier to get into than outdoor climbing, we want to give those people a lot of space to come in and experience things and learn, no matter if they are overweight and think rock climbing is not for them or they're super short or they're not ever good at any sports or whatever their thing is. Climbing is like a version of vertical yoga in a lot of ways. Like you can find ways to experience movement that don't require you to have existing strengths, you know? And also if you do have existing strengths, you can build off of those and build the strengths that you're missing. So root setters are there to help create opportunities for people of all different abilities and sizes and backgrounds to learn climbing and then see ways to progress. And, and that also includes paraclimbers. Paraclimbing is huge. So there's tons of climbers that are like missing limbs or have genetic problems that have caused it to be difficult for them to do regular sports or other sports. And then they're super into climbing. There's like some professional climbers that are paraclimbers now. So it's really, there's a lot of opportunity, I think, in this area. And just purely from an exercise standpoint, it's so much easier sometimes to go to a climbing gym and just climb a few routes because they're like, it's stimulating you mentally and physically. And you can be talking to your friend while you're doing it and you still get exercise. Whereas if you were like, oh, I got to go lift weights for an hour. Like sometimes we all know it's very hard to motivate to do that. So it's a really cool, good sport for just getting that movement in that we all need to do every week. So I would imagine a lot of people think that your job basically then consists of, you know, as you said, like vertical yoga and doing adventurous things and basically spending all your time doing a sport that so many people love. Um, can you give us kind of a little insight into some of the misconceptions people have about your job or what you wish people knew about what it meant to, to work in this field? I mean, I feel really lucky that I've had the opportunities that I've had. First of all, I just want to say like right now I spend a lot more time in front of the computer than I would like to spend. Um, I feel, you know, I have all kinds of things that I want to be doing better and that we need to finish this project and that project, just like any job. But overall, I feel super lucky to have these opportunities. And like, you know, I try to find the time to go exercise myself. Um, 
you know, out in the, out in our studio or something to just keep my base level up. But it's certainly like, I guess I certainly don't spend all my time climbing you spend a lot of time working. And so when you're even root setting at a gym, most of that job is not climbing, it's work and it's tiring. So uh, root setters always have been sort of misunderstood. People think, oh, it's just fun. They're just having fun. And it's like, it is fun, but it's a lot of work. It's very physically tiring in a way that is really hard to understand if you haven't done it. So I think people sometimes see like root setters laying on the ground and they're like, oh, they're just messing around. Those guys are lazy. It's like, no, they're just, they need a minute before they get into stage three of their very physical job for the day. Um, So that's like a big a big thing. And then, uh, again, like back to what I do now, I spend a lot of time in front of the computer, just like any other job. And, uh, I like it. I like talking to customers. I really like helping people find the right holds and stuff for them. Cause it's like part, it's like a version of root setting. If somebody has a home wall and they call us and they say, Oh, I climb V4 and I want my walls 30 degrees overhanging. And I want to work on my finger strength. Then I get to pick sets from our catalog that I think will be good for them. And I really, want to do that job well. So that, that to me is an exciting part of the job is working with the customers. Um, but unexciting parts are like, especially the last two years, shipping delays, um, a lot of communication problems with shipping and raw materials, um, production, all those things have been super slow and delayed. And we've tried to work around them. So we started stocking and doing like, uh, inventory and shipments. So people could get their two day shipping, like Amazon style from us, but I mean, it was an entire another job that we created. And then we were a pretty small business. So we were all just the rest of us, you know, doing sales and um, other things. We're, we're managing that as well. And we finally hired somebody to help us with that. And it's a full-time job for him. It's just a huge thing, you know, and, and customers, everyone was sitting at home in the pandemic bored, wanting to climb on their wall going, I ordered these and they aren't here yet. And I ordered them yesterday. And it's like, we are so sorry. There are three of us. We are working 80 hours a week. We cannot control manufacturing. <laughs> so we so we took as many steps as we could to try to offset that a little bit, but there's still a lot of delays and slowdowns and shortages that are still affecting us. So it's just constantly, um, you know, trying to pivot and do what we can to do the best we can for every customer. And it's been a little hard because again, like we, we can't control some things and it's just sad to disappoint people. Um, but we are all doing our best and the industry has come through this a lot better than we originally expected, which has been, you know, we're super grateful for that because we, uh, we didn't know if we'd have a company anymore when the pandemic started. So um, yeah. That was well, and I mean, it's, it sounds like uh, a lot of folks are able to, like you said, climb in their own homes and have that access Um when so let's say they can't reach an outdoor climbing area or climbing gyms are closed thanks to to your hard work so that's awesome I'm definitely picturing now you kind of like so when you were talking about sort of custom creating um routes or or a wall for someone it made me think of like when you see um fashion design sketches of like a tailor-made outfit and yeah. I'm picturing you all like at a drafting table, like drafting a tailor-made, a bespoke wall with like <laughs> holds position just so with like this particular type of grip or, you know, oh, I'm going to put a guest on here or whatever that might be. So um, still very glamorous in my mind. I don't know if it, how um, closely that matches with reality, but I wanted to ask um, if you feel like you have a role model um who, you know, either earlier inspired you to go into this work in the first place or who you to this day maybe, um, you know, admire or want to emulate with your work in climbing? Um, so I, I was really lucky. Uh, Travis and I were lucky where we started in Reno. There was this kind of, it was actually a pretty old climbing gym and it actually had quite good walls and it also had um, a good community of people that had a lot of experience root setting and outdoor climbing in ways that maybe isn't super common, uh, even now, but especially wasn't then. So I was taught how to set roots by people that really thought about it, uh, in a way that I later learned wasn't super common. So they thought a lot about movement and, um, kind of the complexities of movement and how important that was. And a lot of other people are setting roots. Are, we're literally just um, 
putting the holes on the wall and in a ladder, you know, or, or not really thinking about how, to what degree it affected every aspect of a climber's experience at the gym and the way that we think about it now. Um, and weren't, weren't thinking as much about, okay, like, what do you do for short people? How do you make it equal, but different for them? You know, how do you adjust this difficulty? How do you plan these falls? How do you, you know, all the things that kind of go into a good route setting. Um, these people were thinking about that kind of stuff. So right from the beginning, I learned to try to think about routes, uh, from a lot of different angles, not like just what I wanted to do. Um, so that's like Ted Welser, who I actually am still friends with and have, he just visited us this summer and we did a little video. I'm going to post uh, a kilter where he and his daughter, who's now a root setter came and they sat with us in the barn and they did some concept stuff. So, so that was really cool to like still be in touch with Ted. He's a um, professor of uh, sociology and he thinks a lot about, he just thinks differently. And I, I appreciate that. So, um, so, and then also Bill Kelly's another person from Reno who taught me a lot about movement. Um, there's a guy named Tim Steele who had kind of helped teach them. So there was just this like kind of, uh, group of people that were really interested in root setting early on. And then, um, you know, there've been people I've had both kind of good mentors and, and bad. I think mentorship is really important. Um, and again, like, I feel like I've been lucky with some of the people I've gotten to work with. And then there's obviously other people who, uh, for various reasons, weren't, weren't great. Um, I think that's pretty standard across the board though. Um, Let's see. There's this guy in Germany named Udo Newman who's awesome. He like wrote a book about rock climbing. It was one of the first books I read called Performance Rock Climbing. And he is he was a coach for the German team. And he's still doing like independent movement study. So he posts these videos where he analyzes movement and comps between athletes. And he tries all kinds of different stuff for like practicing different movements and trying to improve his climbers. And, uh, I just really think Udo is super interesting guy. Like he's, he's, uh, we're friends now and he's somebody that I, I would say I look up to, um, and appreciate what he's doing. Um, there's various root setters who, you know, you look at what they're doing and, and think that they're kind of coming at it from a different perspective. And I appreciate that. There's also a lot of root setters that get caught up in trends and don't think independently. And I don't, like that as much, but I'm also one of like the older people at this point who's been resetting for like, there's a generation above me for sure. Um, but there's also the majority of people in resetting have been doing it for less time than I have at this point. Uh, and so what's fun about that is that everybody has a different perspective. So even somebody on their first day can come up with something interesting that experienced resetters maybe haven't tried or thought of before because movement's so infinite. So I guess it's just, I enjoy working with different people to see what they come up with, like kind of no matter their experience level, um, just to see how their brain works and how their perspective is. Um, yeah. So more, more the whole community, I guess, than like any specific person that I, um, you know, pull from, uh, I, I do want to say though, there's a woman named Molly Beard who, um, she was setting for USA climbing when I was competing in it. So she was really, uh, the first woman that I know of who was doing these high level comp setting. Um, and I got to work with Molly a few times early on when I was working for USA climbing and, uh, she was super supportive and, um, she was very organized. Uh, that was one thing I took away from her when I worked in nationals for her, she was very organized about the event. And I feel like that was really important. So I definitely like because when you're setting a competition, how it used to be is you would be working all night before the comp. So you would, it would, everybody would, it would take too long. There'd be all kinds of issues. You'd be, the gym wouldn't give you any time. You were working overnight. Um, when I set nationals with Molly, we were back at the hotel by 8 PM every night. So it was just like a reasonable shift of like eight to eight, which sounds long for most people, but for root setting, that's not a long shift for a comp. And just seeing that it was possible to be organized and do that was something I actually hadn't experienced before as an employee. So I was like, I really have run with that. And when I ran my program at the spot, I really focused on trying to have an organized schedule and try to make things as reasonable as possible for, for my employees. So it sounds like there's um, kind of like a mutual support or like a, a peer um, sort of environment rather than like just some old graybeards handing out their wisdom to everyone else and that you can, like you said, learn from someone much newer as much as they can learn from you maybe. 
Um, would you say that you see yourself as an expert? And if so, are there particular experiences or people who helped you see yourself as an expert? It's a funny question. I, I think you've probably experienced this in areas of your life as well, but I am now at the point uh, with root setting where I've gone through a lot of the stages. I feel like there's a lot of stages you go through with root setting um, where you understand certain things and are trying to set for certain reasons. And I have been doing it for so long. I feel like I'm more at the phase of realizing there's a lot that I don't know, you know? So I probably was more confident 10 years ago than I am now in terms of like understanding everything because yeah, there's just so much possibility. Again, movement is infinite. There are thousands and thousands of different shapes of climbing holes on the market. There are different angles in every gym you can get sucked into doing the same thing over and over, but there's so many opportunities. So uh, there's another kid, uh, German setter named Nikki Held. Well, it's like, no, his name's not Held. His name's Nikki Weichman. He was just here visiting us. And the way he thinks is like totally different than the way that I think, but I really appreciate it because it's again, like a different way to look at movement. Um, so there are some people that kind of fashion themselves as old gray beard. I'm like Mr. Yoda. And they actually act like that a little bit too. And it does work. There's like younger setters who are really influenced by that, but I have tried to take the tack of just being as open as I can be with the information I have. If I'm working with people, I, I like give my setters infinite questions, ask me whatever you need to ask. I will explain it until you understand. We'll talk about it together. I'll consider your perspective because I think that, you know, there's no right answer with anything really. Well, there might be like the best thing to do, but with root setting, you want to have a certain result in an, in an event. And so there's a lot of ways you can get there. And so you work together with your team to try to come up with something that gives you a good chance of success. And um, I don't know. I, I think the best way forward is for all of us that have been doing it for a while to help everybody who is newer through whatever stage they're in so they can continue to grow as well. And then we also can learn from them and continue to grow as well. And eventually probably we'll be really old and realize we know nothing. <laughs> I think that's how that works. You're listening to My Dilettante Life. I'm your host, Hannah Binder, and my guest today is Jackie Heftley. Can I ask, given that you've sort of realized, you know, the, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know, um, what has surprised you about working in both root setting and also with, um, with kilter, with, you know, working in um, hold, again, hold development and production. With Kilter, so my partner Ian has been climbing since the 80s. He started shaping holds in the early 90s. As I said, he opened another company called eGrips, you know, in the 90s that he later sold. So he's even ahead of me in this. Um, but we, I guess it's, it's surprising that there's a lot of setters who don't care as much as I think they should about not just like the hold quality and like the ergonomics and the design, but also about doing their job well. I think there are now more and more people who are understanding. My job is to figure out my customer base and help my customer base, you know, have a good experience and thinking about diversity and thinking about all those things. Um, but there are still setters out there who have like a real kind of like do whatever I want, make it like who cares if it's too hard kind of attitude. And also there's setters who don't care about the hold quality. And it's surprising to us because we think so much about all the little details of the design and the climbing holds. Like Ian is, he hand shapes and we have a, a small crew of some pro setters and, and um, pro climbers that also shape with us, but they think so much about the details and the holds because we don't want holds that allow you to grab it any which way or allow you to like, or could like you can get hurt on any climbing hold. You can get hurt walking down the street, but we try to make holds that are more ergonomic and give you less of a chance of like a tweaky injury because the hold itself is tweaky. Because in climbing gym, people can climb. They could try and move a hundred times in an hour if they just keep jumping on it. Again, outdoors, you don't really do that. So you can tolerate more tweaky holds outside plus nature made them. But we're not nature. We're people. We have the opportunity to do intelligent design with these to make them as good as we can. And part of that is making the holds comfortable, um, giving people more chance for success and less chance of injury. So um, I don't even remember what your question was actually, but basically well, I guess what's, oh yeah, what surprises me is that I, it might just be a stage people learn when they're learning, but a lot of people don't understand those things at all. They don't think about customer comfort. They don't think about 
or maybe even they enjoy like, oh, it feels tweaky and hard. It's like, that's, you can train without hurt, without like encouraging people to hurt themselves. Like, again, you can get hurt doing anything, but you can definitely stack the odds for a good result as a root setter and as a hold shaper. And there's a lot of people that are root setting that don't think about that, I don't think. So they don't order holds and set with holds and plan climbs with this idea of like trying to preserve uh, their customers experience through not just having fun and learning to climb better, but also through reducing their risk of injury. Um, so that's one of the things, I guess. Uh, another thing that surprises me, but it shouldn't is that there's a lot of people who are just really into whatever the latest trend is. And they think that's like the coolest thing out there. And I think there's just so much room for independent thought in this area that like, I would like to see more people breaking out of doing the trendy thing and experimenting with more options. Um, because again, thousands of holds, thousands of moves, tons of different wall angles, tons of different body sizes. There's just so much potential. So I'd like to see people exploring the potential more, but uh, part of that too will come with professionalization because right now some, some people at some gyms, their work schedule is so extreme that they don't really have time to be as creative because they're just trying to get a certain quota done. And most of us that are working on professionalization are very opposed to quotas because they really stifle creativity and quality. Um, but again, that's something that's still evolving. So I guess that, um, on the plus, on the plus side, more and more gym owners are beginning to understand the importance of root setting to the gym's overall health and ecosystem. And so they are putting more resources towards it. They're listening to setters a little bit more, and those things are starting to get better. So I think that hopefully that aspect will continue to improve as people have more support and more room to, to think. Now with talking about the increasing professionalization of root setting, um, are you like, are there efforts underway to maybe more formalize and pardon me, I, I don't know if this already exists, but like a system of certification or formal training so that there's kind of consistency across the board? Yeah, we're working on that right now. So existing, we have work at height training, which in the US is done through Climbing Mall Association. And there's also like different programs in different countries. So Germany has a really good one. Uh, Petzl is a gear manufacturer that's working with us and with Germany with some other programs as well, because they provide most of the gear for the, that you would use to set up like a good work at height system. So that technical aspect, yes, uh, there are certifications you can get now for the kind of overall job we're that's what we're building. So there's an international group uh, made up of several other smaller groups that is working together to kind of start to make a career path with, with certification levels that people can get for different kinds of route setting for gyms, for competitions, bouldering, which is without ropes or with ropes. Um, and that is like in the U S there's a, uh, climbing wall association. The climbing wall association has a route setting committee, which I'm a part of, and we are working on the U S portion in, and then also USA climbing is our our governing body for competition. So they have their own certification system for comp setters. So we'll combine those two things as kind of the North American or the US contribution. Um, but the International Federation for Sport Climbing, the IFSC, which is who managed the whole Olympics for climbing, uh, they are also, we're working with them. They have a, some guys working on their dual track program. They're incorporating Germany, Austria, um, Spain, like all, all the countries over there that already have programs, the UK, uh, are trying to work together to create a universal plan, basically. Um, so it's in the works. It's going to take a while because there's a lot of parts. Like the root setting committee in the U.S. here, we've been working um, on a like basically kind of a manual for like two years now, and we're about ready to to share it. Um, USA Climbing's been evolving their system for more than ten years at this point. Uh, you know, the German program has been going for more than 10 years at this point. So there's a lot of work that's been put in and there's a lot of work left to do, but we will eventually, the goal is to have this international certification level that is uh, clear, that is transparent, that is merit-based because right now it's kind of a bro club in a lot of ways. So people can come in and say, okay, what do I have to do? Have access to those classes and programs and be able to build their professional resume in a way that allows them to progress in root setting the way that you can in other jobs. So given 
um, like the, the breadth and depth of your experience. So not only have you, you know, experienced this as a root setter yourself, as someone who is now working on the professionalization of the industry and of the, the role, what would you tell someone who is thinking about going into root setting or what would you tell like younger Jackie about, uh, what your experience has been or recommendations for going into the field? Oh man. I mean, at this point, it's a little bit harder to get started, I think, because a lot of gyms do have a more formal program. So you can't just kind of like tootle in and like, I would get paid three hours and get set for as long as I wanted. I'd only get paid for three hours. So I basically got paid per route when I was learning, but it gave me a lot of time and space to learn. I don't think people have as, as much of that opportunity now because there's more insurance involved in the industry and there's more formal programs. But I would say like, do you have to have the attitude of being willing to learn and do all the tasks. So like I have washed a ton of climbing holds. I have sorted a ton of climbing bolts. I've fixed things, you know, you, there's all these things that go into root setting. They're not just the glory of putting the holds on the wall. So, um, and I was fine with that stuff because I was just really excited about it, but I definitely have had employees or prospective employees uh, who fall all over the board. Some of them are willing to do anything, and they're well-meaning, but they, they're not good root setters. Some of them are only really interested in root setting and they're not really willing to do the other stuff, but they're really good root setters. So it kind of puts you in a situation of like, okay, well, what do we do with this person? Um, so yeah, I think just like seeking out an opportunity. And I guess the biggest thing I tell myself, I hit the, I hit essentially a glass ceiling a few times in this over the last 20 years. And I definitely feel like I've had some good mentors and also some people that underserved me or, or took advantage of me or didn't treat me fairly. Um, and I guess I would tell any young person just to try to keep their head up. And like, if somebody is shutting you down, like, you know, ask honestly what you can do better. If you can't get a straight answer, just seek, seek somebody else to, to learn from, you know, there's a lot of places, there's a lot of perspectives on resetting. There's a lot of places to learn you want to get that base level of experience no matter how you can. And uh, if somebody isn't being fair to you and you're willing to learn and you want to do a good job and you listen to feedback, then try to find someone else who appreciates that about you and can, and can give you more room to learn because that. And the other thing is like, I guess what we were talking about earlier is, you know, one of the phases of root setting you go through uh, is that you think you like really got it down and you understand everything. And it's like, four or five years or six years in maybe. And uh, just to remind everybody, like there's a lot more to learn, you know? <laughs> so I had one employee who I really liked and was a good kid, but after like a year, he was like, oh, I like need to, I like think I've learned everything. I need to do something else. And I was just like, yeah, buddy, like good for you. Like you're just getting started, but you know, do what you want to do with your life. Like I, I really just, building a root setting program was one of my favorite things I've done so far. Um, with the spot, I really had to rebuild the program there. And my goal was to make sure all my setters were capable of at doing all the tasks you had to do for root setting. So wall repair, making good decisions, making sure holds don't spin, setting a variety of grades, all these things. So if any of my setters went to another gym, they would be able to perform at the highest level at that gym. And also understanding like when you go to a new gym, you need to be respectful of things you don't know about that gym. So you have to be a knowledgeable, but be willing to listen and learn what you need to add to your knowledge to make you successful in each different location. Um, I think that I'm really excited about kind of helping professionalize because I want more people to be building programs like that and to have that kind of general ability be expected and also be encouraged. Um, yeah. So I guess, I guess I wouldn't really change, even though I did have some disappointing experiences, like overall, I've been lucky and I'm grateful for the experiences I've had. And like having disappointing experiences probably helped because you are really confident when you're young and it's probably good to learn around that, you know, <laughs> learn their stuff you don't know. Well, and it sounds like, um, you know, you were mentioning that not everyone that you worked with was like truly encouraging or provided clear guidance, um, or really, you know, was, was able or willing to recognize your potential or your ability, but it sounds like you did have enough support 
people or or enough of a support system in place that when you came up against those roadblocks, um, both from your sort of inner resources and outer resources, you were able to um, work around them and then maybe recognize after the fact that they weren't serving you well. So you, even if it was frustrating in the moment, you you have been able to succeed despite them. So I think that's a great lesson for people in almost any area of life, um, not just this one, but uh, that's, that's really awesome to hear. Now, I want to know, um, what would you be doing if you weren't working in both root setting and sort of the general world of rock climbing? I don't know. I mean... I did well in school. I probably would have gone to some fancy college and gotten a degree. And I, I went, when I started in college, I went for journalism. So there's a chance I would have just continued pursuing writing. Um, I mean, I do write still, but not, it's not all that I do. I probably would have done that. I think again, like I'd wanted to be a lawyer when I was younger and I might've done that. But I also think that by the time I was done with high school, I didn't, I think I was more drawn to journalism. Um, Already you knew it wasn't sort of the path for you? Law? Yeah, well, here's the thing. Like, I don't like being inside and I don't like having to dress nicely and I don't like being, you know, like I just, I was really into that sort of enjoying arguing and, and thinking things through and having discussions and all this up until I was like maybe 16 or so. And then I just kind of was over it by the time I was 18, you know, like, I don't know if Travis has told you, but in high school, you know, we were in we were in AP classes and honors classes together, but we would, we would sit at the back of our AP class, just kind of mess around. Uh, and we both just did well because at that point we were we were at a level where of of like our school was pretty good and we had some really good teachers, but um I don't know, I, we were just kind of both over it, I guess, at that point. Uh and I think that going to law school for me, I don't know. I just like, I really enjoy being outside. It makes me feel better. You know, I had stomach aches like every day of my life from like through and the entirety of all of the school I went to basically. Uh, so climbing, I didn't have stomach aches all the time. You know, I would like be excited to go climbing after school and that would motivate me to go to school. Cause I had to go to school and I always went, but I just suffered a lot. So with climbing, I was had something to look forward to. I probably would have just kept snowboarding a lot because I did a lot of that by the time I was kind of that age. Um, and like, I really liked hockey. Maybe I would have kept playing hockey, but hockey is like another difficult path for an adult woman. Um, so I probably would have just continued doing regular sports casually and gone probably gone to school for journalism or maybe finished one of the books I'm working on, which I got to from a different way, but. I really like writing books as well. So I've been working on some two different series of novels and also some children's books that I wrote like 10 or 15 years ago. And I just haven't done anything with really, but those are all kind of like my side projects. So I probably would have done that stuff. That's what I like the most. Um, and I just kind of was tired of being stressed out by the time I was 18, I guess. So I would have tried to find a way that wasn't super stressful. And, and what I did was climbing off and on and going to school and setting, you know, until I was, in my early thirties was super fun and also like allowed me to kind of relax from the first 18 years of my life. Uh, and then I had like a lot of built up energy. So with this small business, I, I love it. And it's an awesome opportunity, but like we work so much and we work, we've been working so much for since 2013 at this point, especially 2014, it really doubled down um, that I definitely took all that saved up energy I had and have spent it at this point. So now I'm trying to find a better balance to create new energy. But, uh, do you want to be featured on an episode of my dilettante life? Record yourself starting with the phrase, when I grow up, I want to be a, and ending with your dream job. You might hear your own voice on a future episode. No age limits apply. Yeah. I don't know. That's a funny question. What would you be doing instead? I, I don't know. This is just feels like what I should be doing. I love doing it. I feel lucky to be able to do it. So maybe I would have just found it a different way. Mm -hmm. Or you could have been like the access funds lawyer if they have one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, I could, they do. And I could have, yeah. Or I would have like, I could have like, 
Um, I could just be a coach. Like I was a competitive climber and I coached and I loved coaching too. So I could be a coach, um, or a trainer. Um, yeah, I don't know. But it really says something if, you know, and not everyone has like an answer ready made for that question for a lot of folks, you know, the job that they have right now really is their, their passion and the thing that, that brings them joy and, and stimulation and all the different levels. And so there isn't necessarily, um, a clear answer for that for, for everyone. Now, my last question for you is, um, what do you want to be asked about your job? Um, I mean, we didn't really talk that much about what it was like. So being a woman in this industry, uh, you know, I mentioned briefly that I felt like I hit glass ceilings a few times, but definitely like one of the things that actually probably helped me succeed at this early on was being the only girl doing it. And then knowing like one other woman who did it. And then like, maybe there's one other one, you know, uh, and then being put into a position eventually or getting myself into a position where I was able to hire multiple women and train multiple women and have done these clinics and comps and stuff where we just try to get women into it. Um, I think it's been really cool because my personality is very like, let me help you kind of. So like having the opportunity to create a space and then bring other people into that space has been really rewarding for me. Like, because I was raised, I was always been kind of a tomboy. I was raised, you know, to, to try to do things. And the more people I meet, the older I get, the more understanding, obviously that I have other people's upbringings and how different people's life experiences are. And there's a lot of really capable women out there who for various reasons have been raised to not understand that they can do things. You know, they don't know that they can do sports. They don't want to hang out with men that are, talking like it's a construction site. Like I understand not wanting to do that, but also that's changing too. So it's the space is becoming more welcoming, but I just think like there's that whole quote of there's a special place in hell for women that don't help other women. Like, I feel like our job is to help other women move into these spaces. And I guess um, that's just something I want to touch on. Like to me, that's been one of the greatest opportunities of this entire thing is creating a space for myself and then being able to bring other people in and give them, opportunities that, you know, I didn't, I really don't feel like I got a ton of help from people above me to like consistently help me. And I, I would get some and then not. And, uh, I feel like I've tried really hard to be consistently helpful to people I've tried to bring into the space. Um, so Can I you guess, think of a particular experience that sort of, um, maybe doesn't encapsulate, but was really formative for you specifically being a woman in this field. Um, I mean, again, like I just was used to that. Like I played on sports teams with boys from fifth grade on, I was on boys baseball and boys hockey. You know, I just grew up with that. And so I was kind of like the cool girl who got to hang out with the boys, but in retrospect, because I would put up with ridiculous conversations and like not being treated well. And I just didn't care that much. And I don't feel like I was abused or anything like that at all but I do feel like well like I, I mentioned Ted Welser before he was never like that he was always a really thoughtful like gentle soul who just brings people in with joy you know but there have been other people I've worked with subsequently who were very much like that and um so I guess like I was the only woman and then I worked with Molly Beard and then you know this I hired this girl to work with me at the spot named Sarah she wasn't the only other girl I'd work with, but I hired her and she actually then took over for me when I left. And now she's my partner with the route studying Institute and she travels around and does studying everywhere and she's teaching everywhere and she's bringing all these other women in. And it's so cool. Um, so looking at that has been a good experience for me. Just seeing what actually happened. It's been really cool. Um, and also going from having like only a couple women setting roots that I'd even heard of to there's so many women setting roots now actively as their job for years that I don't even know. I haven't met them, you know, and that's like, that looks like success to me. I think that's amazing. And I think that on all these guys that I work with and talk to around the country, they're actively trying to foster this program where they can get more female setters into setting and working on their teams, not just to look like they're diverse, but actually because they see value in having a variety of experiences represented on the team. So 
just seen everything changing over the course of me being involved in this industry, not because of me. I've just been here through this change. The industry is evolving in a lot of ways. Um, has been a really cool. And it's not necessarily one moment. It's just kind of like you stop and look back from where things were to where they are now. It's just, there have been huge changes made and it's just really encouraging. That's really wonderful to hear. Um, I think, you know, again, as like a consumer of this sport, um, it's just really exciting to hear that like you've reached that point where there's a critical mass so you don't know all the women. It's not like some tiny club where everyone has to know each other because there are so few of you. Um, and you say that you haven't had a role, but I can't help but think that you your impact, you probably underestimate um the effect that you have had on this sport. Cause I feel like it's so hard for us as individuals to know fully the extent to which we've, we've changed things um, or, you know, encouraged other people, influenced others without even knowing it. So definitely I want to give you some credit. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that you've had, like I said, a bigger impact than you, you might know. So those are all of my questions. Um, I want to, again, thank you so much, Jackie, for um, taking the time to talk with me. I really enjoyed getting your perspective on a variety of things. I kind of feel like I may need to have you on here again um, at, you know, in a future year, once you've become a renowned children's book author um, <laughs> to talk about your experience doing that professionally, but we'll see where, where the future leads. Um, any last words before we sign off? No, this has been great. Thank you so much. I hope it inspires some women to check out or some people in general, but I always say, I don't always say, but climbing's good for everybody. And I, well, almost everybody, but I hope everybody gives it a chance because it's a sport that you can do at all kinds of different levels, um, regardless of your background and size and shape and issues and skills and things you're not good at. And so I just think it's a great sport and I hope people give it a shot. When I grow up, I want to be a full-time ski bomb. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of My Dilettante Life. I'm your host, Hannah Binder. The podcast theme music was composed by Anna Bradley, with sound editing assistance from Yuli Anerson. The podcast logo was designed by Ashley Burke, with help from model Ivy Bean. Thanks to our guests, and to all our listeners for tuning in. If you have follow-up questions for a guest, send them in for a chance to be featured on an upcoming Audience Asks segment. My Dilettante Life is available wherever you get your podcasts, as well as directly at hannabinder.com slash mydilettantelife. That's H-A-N-A-B-I-N-D-E-R dot com slash my dash dilettante dash life. Tschüss!